so glad to be here. Can you hear me okay? Is the mic okay? And I'm really glad to be here on the second Sunday of Advent. Um, I love using the liturgical calendar to help find periods of meditation and stillness and careful consideration of the holy. And Advent is certainly one of those main periods for me. So I'm honored to be speaking to you as part of Advent. I know that throughout Advent you're going to be exploring the idea of the sacred. And this Sunday in particular we're thinking about sacred people. So I'm going to talk about the way that art has helped me to see the sacred in everything, particularly in other people, which sometimes I struggle with. I'm calling my talk for you today, Drawing in the Dirt. In one of my favorite novels, Gilead, by Marilyn Robinson, the lead character Ames writes, for me, writing has always felt like praying. You feel you are with someone. Writing has always been my strongest connection to God. Art has been my salvation. Writing saved me as a child when I needed it the most. Now, when I say God, this is just my shorthand for a concept, the God of my understanding, meaning my own concept of God. I think a lot of us were raised with the notion of God as an old white man with a big, long, white beard floating in the sky above us. And while that was how I came to picture God when I was a child, I always had a much more deeply spiritual understanding of what God might mean. Even when I didn't know that I could find God in art, art began to show me God. Storytelling showed me that first since I grew up in a family of storytellers. I also grew up in a holiness family, as I told you. Holiness is an extreme form of Pentecostal. It's evangelical, it's fundamentalist, it's strict, and anything that doesn't have to do with church is considered a sin. I grew up in constant fear that I would be left behind when the rest of my family was whisked away in the twinkling of an eye during the rapture. By the time I was 11, I knew I was a gay, so I knew that I would certainly be left behind because they had been telling me that my whole life. Preachers who were nearly foaming at the mouth in their overwrought sermons had been telling me I wasn't worthy of God's love as a little gay boy. Despite this constant negation from the pulpit, I held on to my faith. Not too long ago, I wrote a poem about this. It's called Little Fire. You've been telling me my whole life that I'm no good, that I'm not worthy of God's love. You've called me every name in the book. You tried to take my faith away from me. You wanted me to hide it under a bushel. Yet even on the worst and darkest nights, I had this little fire burning in me, and no one ever could put it out. So I've had this unexplainable faith for as long as I can remember, and I had a profound rela relationship with God from a very early age. On more than one occasion, I was convinced that God was speaking to me. One time, I remember very clearly, I was in my backyard playing on my metal swing set by myself. I spent lots of time alone, by choice and not by choice. As I was swinging, a great wind tore down the valley, the kind of wind that turns out the pale side of leaves that sends a shiver out over everything in its path. I was certain this was God passing through. 
And I believed I heard God speak. I am here. The voice came, plain as day. In that moment, I needed someone there with me. I had felt very alone, but suddenly I felt as if I was with someone. Instead of telling someone this had happened, I went into the house and got out my little notebook where I wrote down everything. You'll note there that being outside led me to go in to write. The natural world has always been my other deepest spiritual connection. And being outside has always been my greatest impetus for writing. Lots of artists I know relate similar experiences. Perhaps some of us are artists because of our strict Christian upbringings and our wildly creative minds led to these encounters. Perhaps as writers we were doing what writers and artists are supposed to do. Hearing like an animal, seeing like a camera, feeling everything intensely. That is the artist's great responsibility, to listen, see, feel, smell, taste, to experience everything as intensely as possible, and then report these findings. Maybe it was just because I lived around people who always thought that God was talking to them. So. <clears throat> but there are many beautiful instances of art being used in the Bible. Among my favorites are Exodus 15:20, when Miriam sings her song of celebration. The verse goes, Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. 2 Samuel 6:14 tells us that David danced before the Lord with all his might. But my favorite is in John 8, when Christ deals with angry people by drawing in the dirt. Beginning with 8.3, it goes, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Christ's drawing on the ground is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. Scholars have theorized over it for years. What did he draw on the ground? Or what did he write on the ground? Why did he do this? What's the symbolism? I'm not sure, of course, but I like to think that Christ wrote in the dirt because the act of writing was a way of prayer for him. I like to think he was studying on the sacredness of this woman before him, this woman that the others had so easily negated and condemned because of their own sanctimony. I like to think he was drawing in the dirt to gather his thoughts. What I know for sure is that his drawing in the dirt, whether it was letters or pictures, was an act of art, just like Miriam's song of celebration or David's dancing. Just as the Song of Solomon and the Psalms are among the most amazing works of art to have ever been produced. 
Another of my favorite writers, the lesbian writer Willa Cather, once said, the prayers of all good people are good. This quote is somewhat of a mystery too. But when thought on, I believe that one thing Cather is saying is that anyone who strives to be good is thereby good. I also believe that one of the main functions of art is to make us better people. The act of making art makes us better. The act of looking at it, reading, hearing, experiencing art has the potential to make us better if we open ourselves up to it. And this can come in the form of books, music, paintings, films, a dance recital, many things. Art, by illuminating the truth, sheds light on how we can be better. Nearly everything I've ever learned about being a better person, I have learned from secular books and poems. I'm thinking of novels like The Color Purple by Alice Walker, which taught me that the true path to God is to recognize that I may have the God of my own understanding and that God lives in everything. In that book, the character, Shug Avery, says, Everything wants to be loved. I sing and dance, make faces, and give flower bouquets trying to be loved. People think pleasing God is all God cares about. But any fool living in the world can see he's always trying to please us back. When you walk through the world every day, notice everything. You're honoring that. And that is what any artist must do to be a good artist. There's no way that an artist can walk through the day without seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, experiencing everything. It's not a great leap to make this a part of one's religiosity or spirituality. And again, I want to emphasize that God can mean many different things to many different people. For me, it's the great mystery. And I tell you what, these days, lots of Christians make me ashamed to call myself a Christian. Mm -hmm. More and more, I simply call myself a person of faith because I feel my faith system has been hijacked by vocal, obnoxious, mean-hearted minority who have weaponized our religion to damage, negate, and erase. Often nowadays, many Christians are taught that our job is to judge and then condemn everyone. Too many believers have been taught they can know the mind of God and be God's enforcers here on earth. Many do not hear the message of compassion that was brought by Christ. I've had to remind myself of that many times over the last few years. When I've witnessed people I know to be loving, kind people reveal a meanness in them when they've defended politicians and celebrities who are celebrating bigotry, hatred, erasure. The greatest heartbreak of my life right now is witnessing family members and friends I love supporting politicians who seek to negate and to negate my existence as an LGBT person. It has sometimes been hard for me to retain the belief that some people in my life have held on to their goodness when I see them celebrating people who proudly stand for bigotry. How can my cousin claim to love me and then vote for someone who wants to punish my child for being trans? for someone who wants to make it illegal to say the word gay in a classroom, for someone who perpetuates the idea that immigrants are evil or that black lives don't matter. I am going to be honest with you. I have struggled to hold on to seeing the sacredness that exists in people vomiting so much hatred. So I have had to learn to love from afar. I've had to learn how to recognize 
the sacred parts of this with boundaries. I've had to learn that by removing myself from situations does not mean that I'm no longer the bigger person or the peacemaker. I've had to learn that it is not fair to always be put in the situation of being the bigger person when the other one is simply being a bigot. I want to love everyone, but that does not mean that I have to kowtow to them. I love a quote by the great writer Robert Jones Jr. that helps me to articulate my feelings on this best. Jones once wrote, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. To me, that is acknowledging that we can love others, but we don't have to make ourselves unsafe to do so. And we don't have to accept being negated. The main thing is that we do not have to hate them the way they hate us. We cannot hate them. I believe we can be angry with them, we can be frustrated with them, we can even put them out of our lives, but we cannot fall victim to the hatred that is poisoning them. Sometimes I'm confused by the modern state of Christianity and religion. Sometimes I question its validity in the modern world. Sometimes I question everything, which is something I was taught never to do in my childhood church. We are not to question God was the refrain back then. Or somewhat more eloquently, we were reminded that God moved in mysterious ways. And we were not to wonder too much about his great mind. But I believe questioning is a way to better understand. I believe that when my faith is challenged, it becomes stronger. I believe the thing I love most about my faith is that it's a mystery. So imagine the spiritual and religious breakthrough for me when I read the following poem by Mary Oliver. It's one that many of you probably know. It's become a touchstone for many LGBT people who have been damaged by their churches and by their families. It's a poem I try to share with as many people as I can in case they don't know it because I think it's a lesson in how to be a better person, a lesson in how to not judge but to have compassion, to spread love instead of hatred. It's about finding the holy in everything. And most of all, it's a lesson in loving ourselves, which so many of us have been taught that is a selfish thing to do. This poem is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert praying you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscape, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue sky are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So I believe the God of my understanding shows up there in the lines of this poem. A thing of so much beauty must surely possess the divine. What Oliver is saying, I think, is that we don't have to punish ourselves to be children of God. That in fact, God is love 
and his arms outstretched to all of us, not just a few. These are verses of kindness and compassion, verses that remind us to look for God's wisdom in everything, like the wild geese. Art teaches us to give thanks. And Lamont, the author of books like Traveling Mercies and Bird by Bird, says that the two best poems she knows are Please, 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 and Thank You, Thank You, Thank You. I've used both of those prayers many, many times, and they are very effective. On this winter's day, let's give thanks for all the art around us, that which has been made by people and that which has been made by the Creator. The songs that have been sung for us this morning, the scriptures written by unknown hands, the precise blue of the December sky, the music we choose to play, the book we'll read tonight, the beauty of every single person in this room today. With that in mind, I want to share a, a favorite poem of mine by Kentucky poet Morris Manning. His poem, Bucolic Number 76, in which the narrator refers to God as boss. Thank you for the leaf, boss. Thank you for the tree. Thank you for the knife-edge wind. Thank you for the breath behind the wind, sweeter than a horse's sweet oat breath. Thank you, boss. Oh, thank you for the yellow belly sun, for the moon fatter than a tick. Thank you for the season. Thank you for the long leg shadows, boss. Thank you for paring down the day today, for bossing all of it away except the fisheye sky oh except the leaf that leapt into my hands thank you for two hands to make a cup to hold the leaf boss thank you for the red bug riding on the leaf that's another poem that taught me the way to serve better that taught me to give thanks I will start aiming for the conclusion with my favorite Bible verse, which I'm sure many of you know, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Art can be a way of being service. Everything we do throughout the day can be a way of service to others. Because the God of my understanding lives in all of us. William Blake said, all that lives is holy. Thomas Merton later popularized this notion by reshaping the quote a bit to read, everything that is, is holy. So we must walk through the world treating everything and everybody as if they're holy. We must do service to others not because we want to reap the harvest that the verse speaks of, but because that's why we're here, to be good to one another, to help one another, to work hard and to love each other. The God of my understanding lives in everything, not just churches and chapels, not just trees and leaves of grass and flowers, but even in, especially in, the leads of pencils, the lenses of cameras, the tips of paintbrushes, the pirouette of a ballerina, the rich alto of a singer, the curve of a sculptor's cut, in books and poems and music, the God of my understanding shows its face in the faces of my neighbors and friends, my family members, even the ones I disagree with vehemently, and the people in the line at the post office or the grocery store. The God of my understanding is hovering everywhere, waiting 
for us to take note of the sacred. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.